as an attorney who drafts a lot of private placement memorandums for my clients who are doing offerings under Regulation D, Rule 506B, and Rule 506C, one thing that I oftentimes am thinking about while drafting, and one thing that as I'm talking to my clients and they're trying to provide me information about what their offering is, one of my main thoughts is where, how much is this puffery and how much is this something that goes a little bit beyond it? So in today's video on talking about staying in compliance with the SEC, staying in compliance with state regulations, in this special seven part series, we're gonna talk about puffery. What is that? Where does it cross the line? Why is it a problem? And what's that thought process? So what is puffery anyway? Well, puffery is generally defined as something along the lines of a statement that's made by a syndicator or a fund or somebody raising money. That's so general, but it describes something that's optimistic and may induce somebody to want to, uh, uh, to, want to invest with you, but not be so specific as to start crossing the lines. For example, what probably is okay would be a statement something like, uh, if it, let's say it was a real estate deal, and so you said the, you know, the Austin market is really hot right now. Okay, that's nothing. That's just a puffery, right? So it's it's a nice, very general statement. It's nothing that specifically is going to induce an investor to to give you money. Where it does start to cross the line is where there starts being a such a falsehood note to it. So let me give you the best example that I know of, and it comes from a case out of the Seventh Circuit, the uh, Seventh Federal Circuit. Now, what happened in this case, and it was called the um, it was called the Maker. Let me look at it real quick. Uh, the Maker Issues and Rights versus Tell Labs. In that case there was uh, an accusation of, of fraud that was going on about their stock. So Telabs was trying to uh, keep value in their stock even though they're facing declining sales. So declining, sale on their, uh, declining sales around two of their major product lines. So what had happened in that case was there had been a lot of, there had been a few of the calls with analysts that were being brought that were brought in, as well as the uh, 10K report. And what the court ultimately said is some of the things were just pure puffery, right? They, it just didn't rise to the level. Like they're saying, we feel good about our company's prospects. Okay, that's totally fine, right? You feel good about that. What they didn't, what they did have a problem with was about specific language as it related to some of their product lines. So for example, two of their product lines were flatly declining, like sales were going straight down. Um, what, when one of the analysts asked about it, the uh, CEO had remarked at the time, we're very confident in the strong growth of our, of our products. And we know that these two products specifically have are, are achieving a great deal of acceptance amongst its customers. 
That's where it started to cross the line. Because if you have strong declining sales, saying that you, that you have strong acceptance, well, how strong is it really if you have a declining sales? So that's one point where the court actually crossed the line and said no. The point why I see it as a problem here is really in context. So let's think about how a matter comes before the state oftentimes or before the SEC. When something goes wrong, so when something falls apart, like Applegate, if you look up that, I think it was Applegate in Texas, who lost about $250 million of investor money and may or may not go, there may or may not be lawsuits from it. I'm assuming there probably will be, but I don't know. Uh, and I don't know any specific and any indication that they committed fraud or anything like that. But what I do know, because I looked at their sales material and I looked at their literature, I look at a lot of deals and there has happened to be some that I looked at. So uh, they were not clients. Uh, I looked at their materials and they were, they used a lot of puffery type of language about the growth of the Houston area. I believe it was in Houston, uh, the growth of the Houston area. And then these assets specifically had uh, way under market rents uh, and would be enjoying this grand uh, appreciative value. To me, that starts crossing the line on where puffery is. Now, I haven't seen any all the facts of the case. All I've seen is this little snapshot. Uh, and I've looked at, at the assets underlying them a little bit uh, to get kind of a picture of what it is. But what the assets appeared to be to me, based on a cursory look, was that the this was a lot of puffery being put in about specific assets that were okay. They were there wasn't anything inherently wrong with the the them, but there it was relying on this this over puffery of what was going to happen in the future, that it went beyond just, we believe that the, the market's going to be strong and that we're going to be able to command more rents. It suddenly started to feel a lot more like these are so under market that we're definitely going to be able to achieve these more rents and that we're going to be able to increase the vacancy, uh, the decrease the vacancy. That's where things start crossing the line. So back to our context. So you, as a syndicator, as a fund manager, are trying to find investors for your project. You're putting things out there into the world in order to attract those investors. And when you do that, the language of sales is oftentimes there is some puffery that goes on. And that is a communication of, you know, why they should invest. If you don't do that as part of the sales piece, it probably would look a little strange because it would probably fall, your, your sales pitch would probably fall pretty flat. But the problem that I see and why, why I include puffery in this section is because I see it included in PPMs, not in PPMs that I draft. I'm pretty darn careful to go through and make sure there's no puffery whatsoever in there because I don't want somebody relying on the most important document to protect you, the syndicator or the fund manager, that most important document, I don't want them relying on whatever could be considered even puffery, and certainly not over 
right? I wouldn't want to put any things like, you know, we know that we're going to be achieving rent growth of 200% over the next quarter. That, I mean, that's way on one extreme. But I don't even want this is in the best part of town because it doesn't make it, it the, the PPM itself, the private place of memorandum's job is to protect you. And it's also to let the investor know very objectively, these are the risks, these are the conflicts, these are the terms. It is not the place of a private placement memorandum to do selling. Its job is to do protection, not selling. So the more puffing it looks like, or some people who put together brochures of with the PPM, you know, where they have it's a private placement memorandum, but it's got all these pictures and it's got all these other things in it. And it just makes it sound, wow, why wouldn't I want to invest in it? That's a little bit too far. Sometimes what I do, uh, just for context, is I'll talk about what the market decisions, why it makes sense. This area is, a pre is enjoying this kind of growth. Uh, the management believes that by because of this growth, assets within this region are going to appreciate in value and decrease their vacancy and probably increase their rents, which will you know increase investor yields. That's the thought process that occurs. These buildings appear to be very good buildings, and we've identified add value components, which when done, management believes will probably uh, turn into something more valuable for your investors. That's not puffery, right? Those are just facts and the, the, the thought process that's going on in the manager's head. The other piece that it does is it gives the investor, oh, okay, that, that piece of this, is, there is a logical reason behind why these assets were chosen. But what it's not doing is acting as a sale. Hey, you gotta buy this right now because this particular investment is gonna take off like a hockey stick. It's not doing that. And so what I see as the problem, and this is the cautionary note, and I think that regulators are going to be picking up on it more and more, is, well, just what does that private placement memorandum look like? What was being communicated, not just in those advertisements, where there's certainly tons of it. But what was said in the private placement memorandum? Because if it's in the private placement memorandum, yikes, that then you know the investor is being sold quite a bill of goods and they're not really being informed of their risks. And that's the problem. My name is Tilden Muschietti. I am a syndication attorney for the Muschietti Syndication Law Group. If we can help you by putting together a private placement memorandum or on all of the documents and making sure that your project, your, your 506B or 506C offering is compliant with state uh, regulations and compliant with federal regulations, we'd love to talk with you. Give us a call and let's talk about your project.